Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW. It's Mordechai Weimerger, licensed clinical social worker. Um, we're looking forward to taking your questions and comments. So the number to call up is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And we're looking forward to see if there are any questions or comments that you've got. Just to start with an interesting little concept, um, and that is that many times people would call me up with a problem or there's something that's happening in their lives, and I hear this from many other therapists, that people just coming in and they're saying, I've got one little issue. But really, there are so many other issues going on, and therefore what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to create the knowledge and the understanding that when someone's got a certain issue or if someone has a little problem, whatever that should be, what we want to make sure is that they're aware that many times it could be a lot deeper and could be other stuff that are connected to that. So when you go to the therapist and you share with them the issue, one of the things that you can discuss is, is this a big issue? Is it a small issue? Is this something that has many other shiroshim that it's affecting in other places? So it's important for us to recognize, and it also helps you, the consumer, to be aware as to what's happening, that it's many times a little issue isn't such a little issue, and many times a big issue that might seem to be a huge issue really isn't that big. So what we're going to do is we're going to go over here to our first caller, to Mrs. S, and we're going to be looking forward to taking your questions and comments. So again, the number to call up is 718-683-5858, Mrs. S, you're on with Mordechai. Yeah, Hello. Um, first of all, thank you so much for your program. I really enjoy it. And um, I wonder if you can help me with my problem. Oh. I have a son who is who just turned 11, actually, and um, he just can't seem to get to school on time. And it, I'm just literally at my wit's end. He literally he wakes up normal time until he gets ready. He's a real procrastinator. And... I just really don't know what to do. I've tried punishing him. I've tried asking his his teacher Which to punish his rabbit to punish him. To Which number child is this? Pardon? Which number child is this? It's my it's my it's my sixth child. Can I know? Okay. Can I know? Very good. Did you ever have this with other children? No. So all your other children were able to do things, be on time, and you know, get somewhere and do it. Yeah. 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 The problem with with this child, actually, the things he does enjoy, he does get on. He doesn't have the problem. If he's going on an outing, he'll be there fine. There's no problem. Five minutes before, right. you know, right. he doesn't have a problem so, with that. He has a problem going to school or going to bed. Mm-hmm. And um, there are several thoughts that I have on the matter. First, let's start with a regular, normal one, which means he's healthy and he's normal. And it could just be his nature to be a little bit more laid back and chilled out. So if it's something that's very important to him, he could make the effort. If it's not that important to him, like to him going to school or going to bed isn't that important, so he doesn't put such an emphasis on it. And to be aware on step number one is it's not such a problem. means in a family we've got all different levels, all different ways of dealing with things, different natures, and we won't allow this son to have his nature. That's level one. Yeah. Now, even when a kid's got a certain chilled out nature, 
what we want to recognize is it's still our job as parents to be mechanach the children how to speed up and how to be more on time. But now that I said that, I still want to say this with a waiver. And when I mean a waiver, I mean that many times parents have this huge pressure and a stress that they are failures or that we aren't good enough if our kid isn't perfect. And therefore, we take it personal and we take it as a reflection on us if there's a problem. What I'd like us to recognize is that many times, if you're able to, let's say, get Kanina or five other kids to be on time and things to work out, means it's not your chinuch system. It's more this kid's nature, and maybe you need to change your chinuch style with this kid. So what I would do is I would more explain to this kid, do you see how important it is? Then step two, say, can I please be around you? And this is sometimes a concept that I share in the parenting workshops, that you sort of hang around them, let's say in the morning, for, for 10 or 15 minutes before, okay, now get dressed, almost guide them, like then leave the room and then say, I'll be back in a minute, are you dressed yet? And just to have them on, just having you on top will have you there. There's no need to yell, no need to threaten. But that's what I feel I'm doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because I'm so, he has to get on to school on time, so I am the whole time on top of him. You know, why, why does you, he have to get to know. school on time? What would happen if you allow the natural consequence, consequence principle to work? So you get to school late, I'm not going to write a note. Now deal with the teacher. He doesn't have a very easy nature, easygoing nature. He, um, he likes school, he's a clever boy, he's got lots of friends, so that's not an issue. And... Um, he it doesn't seem to bother him much. And like once in a while, after you know, when I speak to him, yeah, he, then he seems to say, "Of course, it bothers him." Okay, so notice what I'm saying. What I am saying over here is a little bit of a balance. Why should it bother him if you're always if you're carrying his all, you're carrying his pressure? What I'm okay. saying is, let him go late. Just don't give him a note or inform the Rebbe that. In the past, you could, you're allowed to call up the Rebbeim and speak to him. Just see, this is a little issue that I have. Baksham is excellent all over. This is the issue. So when he comes late, just understand that maybe he needs a Rebbe on top of him to tell him something. But that's what I have done. I have called. And what happened with that? And he's given him lines or something like that. And every day, he, you know, he told me, you know, he tells me. I try to give a nonchalant, you know, those the one. I've tried one way. I've tried the other way just to show that it doesn't, you know. Okay, so that's your punishment. It's not my. It's not my concern. I don't know what, my but concern. does he learn? Does he see that there's now some consequence to him coming late? Pardon? Does he see that there's a consequence for him coming late? Um, does your son get a punishment he, when he comes late? He knows that that's going to be that. There's going to be a consequence that he's going to get his lines or whatever. But okay. So, what's I your feel that he Let the Rebbe, can't let the yeshiva it. deal with it. I'm still not getting it. What's wrong if the yeshiva gives him counsel? He's four days late. Now they're dealing with it. But he's 11 years old. Maybe it's not Usually when enough, a kid maybe gets a consequence three, four days in a row, they are afraid. They're on top of it. Right. I'm not hearing the end of it. What happens when he gets a consequence? When he has to write lines after one day, two days, three days, what happens to the third day? It's not, um, that's what I'm saying. It just carries on. So... And Maybe they're not the tell, enough. Then does the Rebbe say we need to have a meeting? What's the next step? I don't see a Rebbe. What I should do? No, no, I don't see. Uh, explain to me how the yeshiva allows it. So the yeshiva the concept, just allows it. They just they just do allow it. They they don't have the problem. They just. I mean, obviously they have a problem because a kid coming late is a kid coming late. But they just give lines and they, they're not 
I guess they're not forceful enough on the oncoming on, on lead. They don't have a system. Let me ask something. Is your son good in every other area? Learning, studying, from kite, good friends, listening to you when you need help? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Then listen to me. Just let go. Let go. Let go. If the yeshiva doesn't have a problem with it, and the only two issues are him getting to yeshiva on time and for him going to sleep late, let's count our blessings. Let's go easy. And you, Baruch Hashem, have six other kids, five other kids that all did excellent, so your chinuch is okay. Just let this kid go. Mm-hmm. You, know, so you can be on even... top of it a little. Just let go. He'll be all right. Mm-hmm. This, from 11 years old till 22 to get married, or 23, 24, whatever age we do, just right. allow it. Just, mm-hmm. just relax. Okay. Yeah? I'm just, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you got a healthy kid. Don't worry. If he's doing everything else, just... Just let's go easy. Let's allow kids to be kids. Let them go through their stage. Let them go through their stuff. Yep. Right. And there are okay. yeshivas that as they get older will be more strict, more on top of it. Maybe the Rebbe this year wasn't, but the Rebbe next year will be. It's going to happen. Life has a way of teaching. And when mm-hmm. I have a big issue, just for you to understand why I'm saying to let go, when I have an issue with someone when they have a difficulty of not being on time, it's when it's all over. Then I'm worried about mm-hmm. all over in their life. But if mm-hmm. he is doing well on his tests, He's helping, he's listening, he's got good friends. So in two areas he's chilled. Once he gets mature to realize the importance in those areas, he'll be doing those well also. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. And I think we're going to call tonight to start or almost an international evening. We've had from England, and we have now Mrs. G from Israel. So, so let's go ahead and to Mrs. G. You're on the program with Mordechai and her of Nissim. Hi. First of all, thank you so much for your show and everything. I'm really, really enjoying it and gaining a lot out of it. Ah, thank you. You're welcome. Okay. And my question is, um, it's actually not, I don't think it's Chinuch related, even though she is young. I have a four-year-old daughter that is um, having a hard time. She's not talking in school. At home, she's fine. On the phone, she could speak to anyone. With friends at home, she's also okay. But when she gets into the school setting, she just, I guess, She won't say one word? What? Will she say something? Will she whisper? No. No, Nothing, not a word. She goes along. She does everything that she's supposed to. But so from the minute she gets into school, I just want to be clear, from the minute she gets into school till the minute she leaves, she doesn't talk? No. Does it matter which teachers around her, or if no teachers are around, will she talk to friends? Um, she comes home telling me that she's not speaking in school. Did you speak to teacher about it? So I spoke to the teacher. I was with her a whole year. Um, in the beginning, we, I tried to convince her to speak, but at one point I saw that she was um, not really listening anyway, so... I just decided to let her do what she wants, but I'm wondering and what I could do. And you let it go all her. year? Um, I let it go all year. I, I tried working with it, but nothing, nothing that I did really helped. With it? What are steps, what are things that you did? So in the beginning, I tried to tell her what she could tell. Like, I would try working more that she should speak to her teacher, what she could tell her teacher, how she could start a conversation, you know, just. Tell her so things and ideas, whatever. it to go. So first of all, this is generally called selective mute, selective mutism. I'm right, not right. diagnosing because we don't know, but what that yeah, is, yeah. is that people, that kids will not speak in certain times or certain places. 
it could be a small thing, it could be a big thing. And I'm surprised that the teachers and you, not, not as surprised as, as in like upset at you or telling you, but this is something usually you deal with pretty quickly. It means if it's four weeks, five weeks, you start going to a therapist to work on, to work on that. And I'll tell you, year is pretty she long had a few teachers in the on. beginning. It wasn't like one steady teacher until we, you know, until she got her, her teacher that she was with but for the rest of the year. Okay, so let's just put it this way. It's workable. Some kids are very easy to work on. Some kids aren't. Many times what you do is you have, like, the, the therapist is there in the room and trying to coach her to speak. Many times what you do is you try to have the teacher one-on-one with her so she should speak to the teacher one-on-one, like maybe the teacher will come over to your house or have them play together, just them, where maybe on a one-on-one level it's comfortable for her to talk. You also try to see how she could play one with a friend. You try to bring a friend over to your house, so if they speak to the friend, then in the classroom, it can. once they can do it in one place, they can do it in another place. Many times, once they could speak to the teacher quietly one-on-one, then you try getting them to speak with the teacher in the room a little, or you try to coach them. Selective mutism, mute is workable, but you usually don't let it go an entire year before the therapist gets brought in. This is something usually a therapist is brought in right away. Mm-hmm. So it's working. What I'm trying to figure out with her, I feel that sometimes she's doing it like just uh, not not as selective mutism or something, just to get you know, just for maybe attention or something. So you think like, she I'll gets give, attention by not talking all day? I'll give you an example of what happened. She speaks to the teacher on the phone. She's fine. So she told the teacher that she wants to have a birthday party in school. And the teacher said, okay, she should come to school and tell her, remind her, and she'll give her a note. So for three days she went to school, and the teacher kept on remind, you know, asking her if she wants to have a birthday, but she wasn't going to tell the teacher. After three days, the teacher gave her a note anyways, and she came home very excited that, you know, she didn't say a word, and she anyways got that note. So Okay, I, I understand what you're saying, but we're not going there right now. What I mean is you need a professional with experience mm-hmm. how to deal with selective mutism mm-hmm. or okay. a professional that deals that a social worker might not have to be such a professionalist. First, get the person involved. Get the therapist. Get the therapist to guide the teachers. Let them ask someone what to do. There needs to be a guidance of someone with experience, someone to speak to your daughter. How is she in the house? Is she an action to it? Does she run the show? More or less. Harav Nissen, what do you say to this? Uh, I would tell you something that I had, I had this issue with my one of my child. Uh, that uh, when, she, when she was coming from the, uh, from the, uh, from the kindergarten, um. She was like telling you exactly what follow what happened everything every single moment. But in the class, she was really like dumb. Nobody, you know, she couldn't. And we found we found that in the beginning of the year, the teacher was a little bit loud upon her, and we didn't we didn't realize it until it's become a little bit late, you know, during the year. But the teacher was scared so much. She become like an enemy, and she was a stubborn girl. She was she is a stubborn girl up to day, and <laughs> and she showed the teacher nothing empathy. You know what I do? The teacher used to draw a picture, helping a starting picture. She used to throw to the garbage, 
And we found it later. And then the teacher said she's she's handicapped. She has to go on until you know we make a evalu- evaluation. We found that it's normal girl, but so, you know somehow a uh, teacher can create some scare on on the uh, on the on the boy or the girl that uh, yeah, you you don't know what to expect and and uh, what what we we in the house we didn't feel nothing wrong you know she tells she sings the songs that they sung in, in sang in in the classroom she was drawing she was cheerful but in the classroom was like m- nothing she was like blank and uh Baruch Hashem, you know, my, she's now graduate from college. <laughs> that's that's I said. That's right. Right. That, that's exactly what we see in selective mutism. Is exactly what Rav Nissim said that when a kid doesn't speak in a certain way, like if it's at home, if it's in school, or if it's with certain friends, what it usually means is that the kid, for whatever reason, is not feeling safe to speak to express themselves in that area. And it could be exactly as Rav Nissim said that a teacher was a strict or made a certain face. There's a lot of stuff like this that it can be, and that's why we need a therapist involved to identify and then to see what's happening. Let me ask you another question, because it sounds like it's a control issue that your daughter is doing, that she can get away, and like you said, she controls the house. What happens at home if she doesn't get what she wants? So at home I'm dealing with her. She doesn't get what she wants all the time, and, and I just let her have her, her tantrums and get over with it. It's fine. But in okay. school, I'm thinking that, on one hand, I'm thinking it could be just that the language, it's the first year that she's going somewhere, and it could be that the language for her is also what's, get, you know, making it harder for her. Okay, I thought maybe you know. Yeah, so what I'm saying is you need someone to help you out. It means, like Rav Nissen, like they're able to speak to the daughter, they're able to figure out what happened, that's one thing. If something's going on for a long time, for over a year... Just get someone with experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just thought maybe for the next year if I could, you know, do one or two I'll things you what, or whatever. Let's patch you in. There is a teacher that would like to give a comment, and let's see if we can have everyone on together. Listen, can we make a conference of everyone on? Yes. Great. Let's go ahead. Yeah, hello? Yes, hello? Yeah, hi. Okay, I was hearing you very low, so if you can, if I don't hear you, then I'm sorry. Okay, great. Okay, so I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for quite a few years. And this year I had an adorable little three-year-old. I do nursery who was um, selectively mute. And the parents knew from before that she's going to be very quiet. So we basically started off the year. She had to see it in the classroom. Um, and she had told her mother at the beginning of the year when it's going to be her birthday, she's going to talk to her teachers. Now, we didn't believe her. She's a little three-year-old at that point, And we... We worked with really professionals, and we tried everything. And her birthday was the end of March, just to prove the control of such a little girl. The day of her birthday, she all of a sudden opened up and became a different child. Wow. Now let's go ahead and take this information. What do we see in selective mute? And I want you to know this is normal. She was an adorable kid. She just didn't open her mouth, not to us, not to the kids. Right. But what that means is their only safety is to be strong in my way. I'm only safe when I go in within myself. Right. And they're not having the view, the ability to see every to see the whole picture. And that's part of the job that we do when you work with a selective mute child is you give different scenarios. What would One you do with this One piece case? of advice that the person, the very professional, um, um, the, I guess you call it psychologist, told us, 
um, that we should act very silly with her because the breakthrough could be sometimes like a smile and a laugh and like that's right beautiful um, and we tried that so we did get the smile and the laugh but then the day that her birthday was in the end of March she we have to tell her to be quiet at that point <laughs> like she really like opened up to that extreme and I wonder if we ask her as a therapist that would be a question I'd ask her what would happen when you turn four years old that you can speak why we want she to get big. into their world. What she did said she because respond? she was big. She felt very big. Then she felt big. So then the next question that the therapist does is, how could we make you feel very big when you're three, for you to right. be a big three-year-old? Right. And that's but what I we tried to do. I to tell her teacher that, like, um, we, we happened to have had a very good time, me and my assistant. We, like, had a lot of fun, like, making leave. Um, she was wearing a green shirt when she was really wearing a pink shirt, or she was wearing a pink headband and it was really purple headband, and, like, she thought it was very funny. Like, that worked very much. Yeah. Like, with little three-year-olds, it really brought a bunch of smiles and laughs, and that little silliness did get smiles, so we did definitely get somewhere until she started yeah. speaking. However, I'm curious, as a, as a therapist, I, what we try to do with the tools, we try to see what will change and how can we get you to feel a big kid now. Do you want before, to be a Shabbos mommy? Do you want to wear a crown? Should we tell you you're four-year-old today? <laughs> you, you know, whatever the role is. She was a very smart little cookie. You. She knew a little better than that, but we, we, definitely, we definitely had our breakthrough. It was really very exciting. That's right. I'm glad you're sharing the information. I still would like us to realize what we do in therapy with even three-year-olds, six-year-olds, whatever the age should be, is we try to understand what, why, and then how can we get that safety feeling some other way besides for being tough and strong. Right. Right. Excellent. So well, thank you. Should I broach the subject with her and hear what she has to say? I think you could, but I think you've tried all year. So you can try, but I think you need to be aware, besides for you doing it, is get a therapist involved. I mean, if you want, you could take my number off the air. I'm okay with it. I don't understand mm-hmm. what that means. She said she wanted to speak to me. Oh, I didn't no. hear that. No, speak to, speak, I'm saying, uh, to speak to my daughter. To, in the beginning of the year, I tried speaking to her, but then I decided that maybe I should just ignore it. And all right, we were uh, I'm saying is now get, get professional advice. This right. program, I, I is did, I did. I, I spoke to the school therapist, and she also advised me to just ignore her and let her, you know. Okay, if that's what your therapist suggested, stick to that therapist. Contact the therapist. Mm-hmm. Say it's an entire year. Should we wait to the next year? Or I would just get a second opinion. I usually like, I'm not comfortable with that opinion. I'm not comfortable with a therapist that doesn't see, did the therapist actually see your kid? No. <laughs> no, I, that doesn't sound like a therapist to me. No offense. I need one-on-one, a theater. A therapist that never saw the kid to tell you it's okay when a kid does not speak all year in class. That does not sound like a therapist. In fact, today mm-hmm. someone accused me of being a therapist that came into me for the first session and basically they said, you're going to say I for sure need therapy because that's what a therapist does. And at the end, after the first session, I actually said, you don't need therapy. You need medication first before you're ready for therapy. <laughs> but a therapist usually will recommend therapy or at least an evaluation of two or three sessions to know what's happening. I don't feel comfortable with even saying that person's a therapist with the way they handle the situation. So I would really recommend that you go for a second opinion and you take that situation from and, there. And good luck. And as a teacher's opinion... Sometimes the mother could feel a little bit nervous that the, 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 the teacher thinks that the kid is not cute. The mother also had a very cute tactic. She took, like, video clips of her kid, like, dancing and singing, and she sent it to the teacher so that we should know she's really, she has another side there. We think she's very cute. So, it was okay so that's what I'm doing, too. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Great. Right. But we need no, to but I, that's, I'm not worried that the teacher doesn't think she's cute. Uh, like, I know. I just, that's for herself, 
Mm-hmm. You know, why, should, why shouldn't she be part of the class yes. and enjoy herself? Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you for your question, all the way from Eretz Now Good I luck. see why you stood up. What time? It's like 3.30 by you, so I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, but it was worth it. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, you're Good very luck. welcome. Yeah. And we okay, are going to go to Ms. H. Ms. Ms. H, you're on the air with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. Yes, hi. Um, this has been dwindling in my mind for a very, very long time. I don't even know how many years. But noticing the fashion that's going on today amongst Jewish women, Orthodox, and some others. Are you, is this an emotional yeah. question here that you're calling about? Um, it's not so much a question. It's more of a concern, and I think that I'd like to start a petition if anyone's interested oh, in starting Oh, hold up. on. I'm not sure. What, well, this is more an emotional type therapy program, so I'm not sure if it's emotional. If it's about Frumkite and, and Hashkafa and things like that, there are other it's programs about something here. Hashkafa, yes. What? It is something in regards oh, to Hashkafa. Okay, so that's, I, I, it's Hashkafa. It's not that I don't want to deal with Hashkafa here. It's that... I, I want to just stay focused to emotional health. Ah, okay. I'll keep that in mind then. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the comment. Yes. We have Mrs. C. Mrs. C. Mrs. C, you're on the air with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hi. I just wanted to make a comment on the topic that you just discussed on Selective News. Yeah. Okay. So basically from a teacher's point of view and from a parent's point of view that's gone through this, um, with two of my children, actually. So basically, I had a son who, Bakhshanti, is 12 and he's thriving, but he's gone through a lot, a lot of therapy. It's taken a very long time for him to come out of a selective mute. And by him, with a lot of professional help, we realized that it all boiled down to bullying in a, ki- in a nursery classroom. Thank you. It got him Beautiful. to go into his shell of having a fear of ever talking in a school setting again. Yep. Beautiful. How is he doing now? So basically, with him, we needed to give him a lot of, like, I sent him to gymnastics and tried to build his courage and his, you know, confidence to give him, to let him know that he's okay. He won't yeah. be laughed at again. This happened many, many years ago. So he's 12 years old, and Mach Hashem, he's come out of his shell after many years. Now, going to my second child, which actually just, we just finished this year, she's gone through kindergarten with therapy and all, and nothing ever helped. She went into pre 1A, and she had the most amazing, fantastic teacher who got with her on a one-on-one. That means three times a week, the teacher would take the child home with her and have her in her house. See, that she's, that she's, you know, she's a mother, she has children, and have her somehow talk to her in such a kind of a setting. Once she broke the ice, speak to the teacher in a one-on-one, and again, over a, she used to talk to the teacher over the phone as well, but over a phone is never the same as talking to the person on a one-on-one. Once she broke the ice and spoke to the teacher on a one-on-one in the class and in, in, in the house setting, it took literally three weeks for the child to start talking in the classroom setting with the teacher. So after a full year of professional therapy, and nothing ever helped. She went into pre one had a devoted teacher who took this child as her own personal student and took her out of her shell. Yeah. So let's clarify exactly what you said. What these kids need, the theory, the concept that a therapist tries to get is to create the safety for the child. When a child is selective mute, I don't want to say 100%, but almost all the time the kid does not feel safe. 
Exactly. So sometimes to have safe, you try to have the parent, the mother in the room with them. Sometimes you try to get the pit. That's why I Okay, so we had that. We tried in the beginning. I used to sit in the classroom with her, so she would whisper to me. But as soon as I walked out, there was there was a sound coming out of her mouth. That's right. And I just no, want no, to say to the mother that mentioned that the she's doing it for attention. That's Pardon right. Me? I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in what that teacher did. That either took her one-on-one, or many times teachers can take the kids home but they could play with them in the room, like at 20 minutes after or longer yeah, to help out. Yeah. And what I want to point, I want to just make one more point, is that when I heard the mother did mention that the child might be doing it for attention, I'm a, now from a teacher's point of view, for a student to sit in a classroom all day and not, not utter a sound is very painful. No kid could be wanted doing this for, for attention. There's no attention out of this. It's painful for a child. I know, but there is control. The child is what the mother, I want to clarify what that mother meant, and I think she meant. There are children, and I've actually worked on one of them, where, and this was even an older kid, let's say above the age of eight, where this kid mm-hmm. refused to speak, and after I did my evaluation, the school and everyone, we realized this kid really controls the parents with his not talking. He'll only talk if you buy him this and that. And it was a lot of a lot of bargaining and a lot of... A lot right, of but a four-year-old child, I can't imagine a four-year-old child, to, or else she's controlling out of, out of exactly. something else. That's because, why I asked if she's controlling in other places. Many times children that are controlling, then they use threats, or they see the mother doesn't like it if the kid doesn't speak to them at home, so then they'll say, I'll show you, I won't talk at school. Or if a teacher right. doesn't give them the control, and they know at home not speaking works, that's why you really need a full evaluation why, and I agree with you that most of the time, or almost all the time, it's out of pain that a kid doesn't speak, and that's why I was focusing on the safety for the child. However, yeah, so I usually, I'm um, thinking of the teacher as well, I teach upper grade, and I've had a student who walked into an upper grade class, and that's gone through the system, and I teach in a very, very renowned Brooklyn school, with many, many students and all, and she came into my classroom, and she literally didn't talk about the entire school year. Now, when, uh, through the beginning of the school year, rather, uh, we finally addressed the issue, and we realized that, okay, the kid had quite a traumatic household, and she was, she was traumatized. She was afraid, and she, yeah. brought, she brought her fear to the classroom. So, again, most of the time, children that are selected mute, it does come from a certain fear. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate the awareness both as a teacher and as yes, a mother. Yes, I, ju- I just want this mother to be aware that the child is not doing this for attention. It's painful for me to hear that. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that clarification and that this information to the mother. She's listening from Eretz Yisrael, so great. I hope Thank she's you. still on. Thank you for your program. It's extremely interesting. You're very welcome. I appreciate that. And um, we are going to go to Mr. A. Mr. A, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. Hi, I have a question that I'd like to hear a professional opinion on. I've called before. Well, I run a children's group, so powerful, and by the way. I'm trying. I'm thinking of setting something up, and I'd like to hear if you think that the children are too young for this. There are a lot of kids in my group that want to be controlling, help me control the group as I'm running it, and their personality is like a leader, not a follower. So, and some of them, they're quite good in yeshiva, and they're very, they're pretty much mature. I was wondering, I'm trying to set something up where they should each, at the beginning of the man, adopt one kid, the weakest kid in the class, the one that everybody picks on. They should adopt him, like, to mentor that child and to learn with him 
on top of his regular Havusa. So he's not going to be left fall back because he's not learning enough or he's too much concentrating somebody else. But on, besides his own Lemudim, besides his learning with his regular Havusa, he should learn with the weakest kid in the class. He should also make it known that anybody starts up with this child, bullies him or calls him names, is starting up with him, and they have to answer to him, not to that child. And they know that he's a strong child. He's not going to take it from anybody. So in a way, he's mentoring and protecting the other child. And hopefully, but after he's finished learning his own shirim, he's going to make sure every week that this other child knows the, knows the Gemara or the Mishnahis that he's learning in class. In a sense, yes, it's yes. an adult type what of thing. You but you also learn a lot of things. You learn that you have uh, to give. You learn you can't have everything ahead. you want. You, you know, you appreciate what your parents are going through raising you when, when you're a hard case. So I think at the age of 10, 11, or 12, it helps a child mature a lot. What uh, do you think? Uh, am, I, am I getting him too much? What do you okay. say to this Aramnissim? Uh, Look, the idea is okay, but uh, the question is, who, what, what are you in the in the show here? You know, what, what you, what do you want to do? Wait, you have organization, you have. No, no, no. I'm just goes? asking. Um, so, if I start, if I start this kind so, uh, of I idea that, amongst okay. the children that so I, I mentor, that, that I run, to, well, I, my, my if they go to the yeshiva and they ask okay, so the rabbi, could you give me as a second chavusa, the weakest kid in the class that is not is having a hard time? And I want to become his friend. I will mentor him for the entire year and make sure every week that he knows the, he knows the Gemara and nobody starts up with him. There's no bullying, there's nothing. Besides my regular, is this a good idea or am, am I my, telling my it to an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, more than he should be doing at his age? Uh, are you, are you in, in, in the institute? Are you in the yeshiva? Are you going to do, to do the suggested to Rosh Yeshiva? Uh, no, what, what to is, the individual uh, children. So, the, uh, uh, so you, uh, you as your parents' permission, with the rabbi permission, I think that uh, I, I think that is a little bit dangerous to to uh, give this idea to people that not authority, and this can be create a lot of problem. This is my my opinion. That, my opinion. Uh, could you explain what you're saying, please? I think I think that uh, I think that when you're dealing with this without uh, any instruction of professional people that uh, instruct. The other, the teachers of follow one to one, without people that not profession, it can be dangerous to the kids. I'm afraid. I'm afraid it will if be. If a uh, kid takes a, on another kid as a friend, something and takes on the weakest kid as making him his friend. Very, it's very good idea, but it has to be followed with a professional, with a rabbi. No, the rabbi in the class. The rabbi. Okay, so this is this is. I think that most of the. That's rabbi, I don't understand what you what you no, what you no. ask me. Is it, I, mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be meant. I wouldn't be sitting on top of this. This is something in the yeshiva. Yeah, okay, so in the class. Is, I, I think that and most he of should the, talk to his rabbi, and his rabbi should give him set up the chavusa of the other child to make him like, you know, when you find chavusa in the beginning of the year, besides giving the regular, he'll give him a second one like he'll be very, his tutor, his mentor, and uh, his friend. He'll make sure when he's down, he has to talk him out of it. When he doesn't have him, he's lonely. You know, to build him up. A very, very good idea. I think that most of the rabbis, most of the rabbis today in the class, that's what they're doing and trying to do this. What, uh, one kid for the other? Yes. Most of the time, uh, that as I know from my kids yeshiva and other yeshiva that we are dealing with, they basically you're trying to uh, give the, the the weak person another chevut, you know, strong, 
and they're working very, very well. But as, as I told you, as I said before, I, it's a good idea and hopefully that it would work. I really appreciate it. Uh, we have um, Miss uh, Mrs. R. Mrs. R, you're on with Ben Harvnison. Hello, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I want you to know my what's honor. the difference. What is the difference between worrying and anxiety? Is there a difference, or is it just another word? It most definitely is. Let's first take. What do you think is the difference between worry um, and anxiety? Well, I'll give you an example. I have a son who had to take a bus to camp. This is child has a terrible sense of direction. He can get lost within his own hometown. Um, and he had to get off at a stop, which is not directly at the camp. And I was a little bit shocked by my own internal reaction that I, I, I reacted very strongly with a terrible worry. Now, I, I was just wondering, is it, it's a normal thing to worry about? I want him to be safe. Now, what and do you then think I was is the answer? Fact that the, I'm sorry, what I didn't hear you. you. Say, what do you think is the answer? I find most people really have a very, really have a strong idea. Well, I'm not sure if anxiety is an all-around term or if it's a situational term. I well, think it's an all-around term, isn't it? No, it can be. It can be. It could situational. be situational. People could have something called, let's see, social anxiety, where they're afraid okay. to be in in, in the social places. Some people can have agoraphobia, where they're afraid to be. They're afraid to go right, outside. Right, so they got inside. Some people can have afraid of tight places, like in an elevator. So it's only in certain situations. Some people could even have uh, a, a phobia of. You know, people have of dogs, snakes. Mm-hmm. So That's true. I didn't think of that. Sure. So I could have a children's safety phobia type of thing. Sure, exactly. <laughs> and in those areas, uh-huh. which, which if you have it too strong, many times the kid can feel stifled, or sometimes we can even create our fears onto the child, that the child can feel our fear, and therefore they might hesitate and go, I'm not even so worried about me, but you, I had, I had one, someone to tell me that Hassela came, and they said, you know something, I didn't get scared until I saw my father's face. He was so pale, and he doesn't have to is everything going to be okay? So that's when I started worrying. So just I felt like in, my, in this case, it was the opposite. Like my son's fear sort of transferred into me. Like if he would have said, yeah. sure, no problem, I have no problem doing this, yeah. I would have been okay. But he said, oh, my goodness, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't know where to go. So all of a sudden, I sort of like... Uh, Right, so let's look at it the other way around. It's very, and again, please forgive me, but I tell this to my clients. Us, the parents, are the ones that create it. means if you were calmer and safe with him when he was younger or she's younger, it doesn't happen. Also, when they start mirroring our anxiety, well, then we start saying it's them. No, it's not them. Mm-hmm. One of my strict policies when I almost work across the board on anyone, like any child under 12 or 13, I usually work on the parents as well. It's a mandatory process. You want me to work on your kids, work on the parents. Okay. And He's I'm not 15. blaming parents, but as we change the parents, there, we see a huge amount of connection, of osmosis, of, of, of meshing that happens between parent and child. And when you can heal the parent, they're the master key to healing the child. So what I would even recommend to you is work on yourself, uh-huh. and you might find a huge shift in your kid that automatically... I had a client that told me this beautiful, positive story. So we worked on the parents' anxiety for whatever reason that they had, 
And they said this year when they went to the pool, their six and seven or eight, nine-year-old, I don't remember the exact age of the child, but two of their children that each year was afraid of water, this year they just went into the water. And they, the, the mother was able, or the father, whoever the, the client was of mine, but was able to just take them in. And yes, they were nervous a second, but because the parent was calm, automatically within three to five minutes, the kid was calm. And these are kids that had fear of the water, and the parents had that. So when parents work on themselves, and they have that inner security and inner safety, you see shifts changing all over. So it's sort of like a vibe that they pick up? That is very, very definite answer, yes, by the way. Emotions, okay. I, I love quoting Rav Vigda Miller on this. Rav Vigda Miller has said, Shas, if I know Shas, the person next to me will not know. That means my knowledge does not get across to someone else. Mm-hmm. But my feelings and my emotions do go across to someone else. So when you're confident, you're safe, and you're peace, know that your feelings will go across. And when you're feeling stressed and anxious and fearful, that will go across. So emotions are like an antenna. When you're around an anxious, stressful person, remember, we're not calling you anxious where you're not functioning. We're just I understand. Right, we're just saying there's a certain level of fear, we'll call it, we don't even have to call it anxiety, but a certain level of fear that then can build, and if you can work on getting that safety in that area, then with Siyat HaDashmai, you can see a big shift in your children and in your family all around. Okay, and what about the fact, all that that you said, is, I, I understand, I'm just wondering, the fact that he has a bad sense of direction and gets lost all the time. Yeah, that happens. Some kids, some right. people have a so terrible fear. But he won't That mind. doesn't take He'll that away. That's going to be for the rest of his life. He might have a GPS on him wherever he goes. <laughs> that's true. That is, that's, okay, so then my fear of his safety, that's and what that's that's your issue now. Now, uh, do you think he is the first child that doesn't have a sense of direction? I'm sure not. Exactly. So now, how were the other parents able to allow themselves? Remember, it's a safety issue. You're only feeling safe when you know he's okay. How can you relax and let go that he's old enough to figure it out and to ask, or you'll teach him the appropriate ways to figure out? It's about you letting go. That's true. I agree. And to know that this he might have forever, Merit Hashem. Right. Well, I mean, if that's his issue, mm-hmm. big deal. Everyone's got a shortcoming. I've got a shortcoming. I don't remember people's names. <laughs> I've tried. I've even bought, when I was younger, I bought, like, programs with tricks, and you make different pegs, you make different associations, and things like that. They, I even remember, like, the first ten things, like, they teach you how to attach the number one, a certain image. I could remember, I probably remember the first six things. I still can't remember the name that I attached to that. Mm-hmm. I tell my clients, you're very lucky. I'll remember every one of your issues in every session about pet, but I will not remember your name to associate it to. So usually when a client calls up, i got to like look at one chart. Once I see one session, I remember everything. Wow. Definitely it's a just, plus in a therapist. Uh, or not. I mean, worry, someone but... calls up uh, four or five years ago or even someone from three months ago, and I just can't find their chart. I have no idea who they are. Wow. Unless I tell them, tell me what we worked on. And once I get the issue, I remember it. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. do you know what? Imagine I'm, I want to learn Gemara. When I learn Gemara, and if, for those of you that pay attention, whenever I would quote a Gemara, I will not remember which Tanur Amayur said it. I'll remember which Masech, I'll remember what the, what the blot looks like. I won't remember which page. I have to actually go through the Masech and look at that. Mm-hmm. There are shortcomings to every nature. But okay. in emotions, I'm very, very good at that. Every strength has a weakness. Every weakness has a strength. He might not be good in directions, but he can be fantastic. Usually he those definitely types of has strengths. are unbelievable right. in Gemara. I'm definitely not worried about other things. This is just one thing that got That's me That's right. So now, scared. how can you let it go? It is a fear. It's actually definitely, you know, magnified by 
summer stories and different things and just that is your you know, fear let's call it fear I don't that, know that's the thing. anxiety let's call it fear and fear is workable and when you work on it, he'll feel safer. And when he might even get lost several times instead of getting fearful, which might be in him from either you're lost to feel, okay, so I'm lost, I'll get there. We'll figure it out. Yes, well, I did I did calm myself down and I did speak to him and he definitely, he was okay after that. So it does definitely worked. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you for calling Thank in. Thank you I very much. That. Okay. And we're going to, just before we go to England, I'm just going to read over here a message that we got was selectively mute as a young child. I remember the experience. I felt trapped by my own doing. I could not speak in class because I made up my mind not to. I felt stuck. I was, it was very painful. Yes, it was, and yes, it is. Harvness, what do you say to this message? Yeah, I think this is really uh, something that uh, is, is reflect all these kids that uh, some somehow trap in between the fear to talk and the the power or control power of the you know the own will you know that they want to show that they are really in power and control. So this is something in, in between and especially in the young age, they don't know how to express it. So this is something that very very important for all the teachers and the parents to look into it. Yes, yes, beautiful, beautiful. And we are going to go now to Miss R from UK from England. And wow, we're really having international callers today. Hello. Yes, hello. Hi, I'm sorry, Mrs. Mrs. R. Mrs. Sorry, okay, Mrs. R. Okay. Yes. Firstly, am I clear? Yes, we're hearing you pretty clear. Okay. Firstly, I want to thank you for your line, which is really helpful. It has helped me in lots of areas. Secondly, for your anxiety workshop, which I've signed up to. Thank you. Which was also amazing. I appreciate that. Okay, and thirdly to my question. Um, my parents are going on holidays, and I'm staying here. Um, there's been a bit of mis- uh, a problem with my brother to join the trip of my parents. They're going out of town. And... They would like me to take the responsibility of my brother, and I would not really happy about it. Am I supposed to feel bad? So this is a major question that's not a simple little question. And let's understand your question. Your question is, your family is going on a vacation, on a holiday as you call it, and you're not My parents, not my family. My, I'm staying here with my children. Yes. And your parents are going, but they're leaving you. And they want you to watch your younger brother. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Why don't you want to watch your little brother? Um, it's not so simple. They're not really putting him into a routine. He's not so little. He's 14, 15. Yeah. Um, I can't put him to bed at 8 o'clock and say, okay, well, I've got the evening for myself. Ah, so you need if a little space for yourself. I have to yourself. look after my younger brother, it means I have to live, move my move to my parents' apartment. And why? It's difficult for me. Wait, Sorry? why? Why can't your brother move into your house? Uh, I don't have place. I don't have place where he should sleep, so it's not an option. And the the recliner, the couch, in the dining room or the living room. 
No, we live in a very small apartment here in London, so it's not really an option for him to come to live by me. It means moving out my... No, let's, let's stop there. I'd like to stop you at that point. You see, when we want to do people a favor and we're stuck on a lot, like in certain things that have to happen, that's when it gets very tight. What happens if you could think about how to make it comfortable for you? Maybe he stays a week by you. Maybe you do it in your apartment. No, I feel my parents are being a bit, like, codependent, like, okay, so you don't want to, okay, so when we'll need you to help us out, we'll think twice about it or so. Now, like, I feel they're being codependent. I told Let's them a whole way like, along. Why is that codependent? Why can't parents say, we give you so much, we're asking you a favor? What's wrong with parents actually saying that? I feel it's too difficult on my part. Well, many I feel things you moving out of my house, too, it's too difficult having someone well. the whole time. I have only little kids. I don't have Hold uh, on. someone. So what? So what? Uh, many times you ask them favors that are difficult. That's what parents do. So you say that I should feel bad that I'm not helping them out. What I'm saying is there's a price to everything that we do. I'm not telling you to feel bad. I'm telling you then don't do it if you don't want to do that. But realize there is a price to pay. When you're three years old, it's a one-way trip. Parents are giving the whole time. But when you're an adult, sure, I believe in giving back to your parents. And when parents are 80 and they need to come into our house, for those of us that have the schus that we're able to do it, if you can't do it and they need to go to an assisted living or the parent wants it, that's okay. But, yeah, we should be taking care of our parents or divide it or work it out. Sure. So, so you see that you can never say no to your parents? Uh, did you hear Is me that say that? You heard me say pay the price. You could tell a parent no, but then their parent can tell you no as well. You want I don't, don't, to I'm, not, I'm not upset that they're telling me no. They didn't sure tell you are. me You're no. telling me they're being they're very giving if, parents if you say no, that they tell you, then be aware we will also be telling you no sometimes. And you're not liking that. Why not? Your parents no, can tell you no, just like you're telling them. Both of you are adults. Yeah, 100%. I also don't like the fact that they're telling me no, but I never place a burden of them. They're not going away for one week. They're not going away for two weeks. They're going away for three weeks. It's a very big, it's a very big undertaking. Sure. When you have a baby, how long do you move into your parents' house? Yes, I do move in for four weeks, and I'm not how saying many, that. How not. many kids have to be moved around? How many hours of sleep does your mother and father lose? How much time is it now with your husband there that your mother or the sisters can't be comfortable with how they're walking and dressing and coming? Yeah, okay, so you've made me no, look at that. what I'm like saying it. is, in a family, there's a give and take. There's a give I'm and take going on over there. My parents, parents are allowed to ask us, and we're allowed to stretch over backwards. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Now, if it doesn't work for you, you're allowed to say, I can't do this, and say, Mommy, Tati, let's work it out. I could take him for a week, or I can't move into your house. My kids need the stability, need the structure. What are we going to do with your son, with my brother? Will he have a, will he have a, a Seder? Will he have Chavrusas? You work it out. You could say, it's too hard three weeks. Can I do a week? But you're working it out with them. You're showing them I care. It works two ways. Harvnissa, what do you say to this? First of all, I want to ask that uh, you have another sibling. I do have another sibling, and she just um, takes life much more easy. Every I'm the oldest, uh, and that's uh, the daughter. You, so you, are the, you are the older one, right? Yes. 
I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah, okay, the oldest one. I tell you the yeah. truth. It, it seems like uh, something uh, has to be uh, defined in your relationship with your parents, with all the respect. I think that uh, you have to define what, what is the, what the relationship. If you're a giver or taker. And I don't see the, the problem. It's much deeper, in my opinion, than you take your brother. And But whatever this is saying is somehow by you being the oldest, it's like everything gets dumped on you. And the question is that if there can be divided. 100%. That's what I feel. I'm the oldest. Ah. I've got a brother that's the next, and I've got a sister that's the next. The sister that's the next just... Okay, my brother, she won't, he won't be able to do it. He doesn't live here, so he won't be able to do it. But my sister just feels my parents don't rely on her, and she doesn't care, so she just thinks I am the one that always that, asks. That's always There we go. So now let's see what the <laughs> issue is. So now let's change the question. So now, I addressed your question the way it was asked. Is it right for parents to ask a kid to watch to take in a brother for three weeks? And to that, the answer is definitely. Harvard Nissen, would you say that's correct? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Parents do so much for us children, we should be thankful we can help in return. Now your It's question is a little bit... Exactly. Now your question is different. Your question is, I am the only child or the oldest kid that has always taken responsibility, and I feel so tired and so heavy. There are other siblings that can work and do things as well, and they're not stepping up to the plate, and the parents aren't asking them, now why do I even be made feel guilty? Why am I being made to feel guilty when I'm saying no? And there are other, other, other steps that can happen as well. means how would you feel if you know you take your brother for a week and your sister or a week and a half and your sister takes him for, for, for a week and a half? How would you feel then? It would be much lighter on me. That's right. So you would feel that this is a family option. issue. So now that's what Arvindus said. This is now a family dynamic. A family dynamic situation, it's never a question about what should I do. It's about I'm feeling burdened. And that is the role that, that oldest children take. And the role that older children take are, and it's a natural, somehow the parents get used to the oldest kids take care of stuff. So therefore, what's happening is we're used to the position of we give, we give, we give. If there's a problem, we take over. And the second and third children always have a way of getting out of it. So the oldest child always feels heavy. And I heard from someone that, again, it's not a, just a sort of a joke saying, the reason why a Bihar gets Pishnaim, why does a Bihar get double the amount of a portion in the, in the Yerusha? Because they got double the work throughout all the years. means they get the extra credit, but at the same time they also get the extra work. Yeah. So what I would suggest more is, as Rav Nissen said, to discuss it with your parents now. Say, let's go. We have a separate issue. The issue is not my 14-year-old brother. The issue is that somehow in dividing responsibility in the family, I get the heavy brunt, and I'm feeling it's too much for me. Let's balance it out. I want to tell now, you what would happen if you would have that conversation? Rav Nissen, what did you want to say? I want to tell you from my experience that always my older sister... She was like the replacement mom, and uh, this is the reflect it's a bonus it's you have to feel privileged to be on at the Bechora, the firstborn and I think this is really privilege to be I know that it's a little burden, but see it as a privilege and see it's it's like helping your parents 
this is what I see. The, always, all the Bechor. Bechor is something that it's like the firstborn is always a different personality. Yeah. And sometimes that oldest one doesn't have it, so then the second one can take that role as the oldest. But still, that's the role. And what would happen if you can do that with your parents? It's an idea, yeah. I didn't think of it. I asked them. I'll speak to them about it. Yeah, but don't do it now about your brother. What you want to do is tell them, I want to sit down with you, Mommy, and Tati, or just you and your mother and say, let's discuss it. This 14-year-old boy is not the issue. It's the symptom of an underlying issue that I'm feeling heavy that everything gets dumped on me. And I like to work it out that I feel there's a team effort. All right, so we've got 30 seconds left to this program, so I'd like to thank you for calling up. I originally thank used you very you as, much. like your question as to get an awareness that, yes, children can give back to the parents, and in your case, you're feeling overwhelmed. So I'd like to thank everyone for calling in, the international callers, several from England, from Israel. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Listen, thank you for having us on. I appreciate it and all the insight. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank have you. a good evening. A good evening.